This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. This is a fresh agenda where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this little spot in the digital universe. Glad to have you here for a while. I'm about a year and a half into this podcast and having interviewed dozens of guests, I'm always looking for ways to improve the experience for you and for me. And I was reading a recent best practices article on podcasts and it had lots of suggestions, but the one that really stuck out for me was explain the program at the top. Now, I feel like I've kind of done that with the announcer intro that talks about uh, what we're doing here. And, and I come out and say innovators, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, but I thought this would be a good opportunity since not everyone subscribes. Sometimes they're just listening to one or two episodes to tell you a little bit about the show, why we do what we do, why we talk to um, who I talk to each week. Um, Entrepreneurs is pretty self-explanatory. I'm talking to two today. But what I'm after when I interview these folks is uh, entrepreneurs tend to be resilient. Uh, they are excellent surfers of change and they can visualize their goals so well. People like uh, one of my past guests, Janice Bryant Howroyd, the first African-American woman to run a billion dollar business. She told me on this podcast that she uh, had seen herself in that position when she was sitting there with one phone in a closet sized office in Los Angeles, having started the business with a, a loan from her mother. So entrepreneurs have vision, which is why I'm interested in them. When it comes to innovators, I'm interested in folks who have leveraged skills from one aspect of their life to another. Jay Leno is one of my past guests and I interviewed him for this podcast and obviously he was already um, legendary television talent and comedian. But then he launched a car show using his love for cars to create success somewhere else in his life. Rachel Hollis, another of my guests, took uh, those things she was least proud of, her insecurity and her anxiety, and she built bridges of understanding to others who felt the same. And she went from being insta-famous to running her own media company. She speaks around the country about those aspects of ourselves that we need to love regardless of the challenges, kind of filling herself and her fans with confidence and inspiration. And then there are the thought leaders, people like Gordana Biernot or Gordon Treadgold, people who, I, they're like the academics of success, right? Their writing, their lessons, their research, their methods and philosophies. It just helps so many people become inspired to achieve. So the show encompasses people who can offer templates and examples of overcoming and building paths to professional and personal success. These are the people that attracted me always as a person and the people I've sought out on my own for years. That's my role. I'm a connector. And as a journalist, I'm happiest when I'm connecting people to information that helps make their lives more informed. My theme for this year and my goal for this podcast is radical relevance. And we're going to dive right in shortly with the guys who started Cousins Maine Lobster, which started as a food truck and is now a global business. So we're going to talk to them about how they've managed to grow it. If you've been to my Facebook page, by the way, the cover shot is this gorgeous picture over downtown Sacramento. That was taken with drone photography. You can see the Tower Bridge, and it's just a beautiful shot. And Dave from New Age Aerial gave me that picture to use. 
And he gives me others too, because he is an amazing pilot. If you need drone video or still shots, you've got to reach out to New Age Aerial. They have the FAA licenses and expertise, so they can go wherever you need them to go. They know the system. They can get all the permits to shoot what you need to shoot, bridges, roads, dams, or anything else, and beauty shots. Boy, I've been, I've been saying the last few times on this podcast, I'd love to see them do like a wedding, but a big sporting event would be great too. I'm going to have to ask Dave if he's done any of this. If you need aerial photography, videography of anything, you've got to call New Age Aerial. Give them a call. Use the phrase Fresh Agenda, the name of this podcast, and Dave will take great care of you. That's New Age Aerial, 916-645-3474 or newageaerial.com. All right, let's chat about my guests. Saban Lomack and Jim Salikas, they were cousins who grew up in Maine. They reunited as young men in LA and over the course of a few days visit, decided to bring their childhood memories of lobster rolls and warm beach living to the left coast. So they launched Cousins Maine Lobster in an area where taco trucks were the norm, not so much lobster rolls, but they did it and people loved it. And a few years later on Shark Tank, they explained how they wanted to grow the concept and they got one of the sharks to invest. So if you're looking at a map of the U.S. and you start in Maine and work your way down and across the entire country, you'll understand the coast-to-coast territory now patrolled by dozens of Cousins Maine lobster trucks. Fast forward to late 2018 when they launched their first international restaurant in Taiwan. How many... How many taco trucks or food trucks do you know that go international and become global businesses? Doesn't happen too often. So our conversation took place a few months before that, before their Taiwan opening, when they had launched their autobiographical company story. So enjoy my conversation with Jim Salikas and Saban Lomack. Thanks for making the time. Hey, I read the book. Uh, Really interesting, your story. What I found most interesting is that you talk about the fact that neither of you had any real entrepreneurial inclination when you were young and very little restaurant experience. So how did you own up, end up owning a multi-million dollar business in restauranting? Yeah, this is uh, this is Jim, a great question and, and certainly something that we're happy to share and be honest about because um, we didn't have any of that experience. We didn't have, uh, you know, grad school experience as, as from the business side and certainly not the restaurant side. Saban had a little bit, he'll tell you. Um, but, you know, for us, it was something where we saw an idea of uh, doing business together and bringing our main lobster um, to, you know, cities and, and pockets of the country where it didn't exist and, and to finally make a, a great quality product accessible and at affordable prices. So, you know, for us, it was uh, a little bit of live and learn, but also knowing that it would take a lot of commitment and work ethic and um, preparation. Um, and one of the things we've always said is to have humility, and, and we asked a million questions along the way. So I think the, the way that we really started the business um, is to have asked all of our advisors and consultants and close friends and family who were experts in their field uh, to learn from them and then apply that you know, to our business. And with our food, It's just something that we said, hey, it's got to be a 10. It's got to be the best. Um, So we source it directly from our team in Maine, um, and we make sure that those processes of making uh, the lobster and putting it in our buttery toasted bun is the same every time in every location. 
Saban, uh, you talk in the book about how you guys came up with the idea, and it was, uh, I, I wasn't sure if it was you writing it or Jim, but it was after a long na- night of uh, a lot of libations and discussing, hey, this might be kind of fun. <laughs> and, you know, through the hangover of the yeah. next day, you thought it still was a great idea. What was the first step? Um, you know, the first the first step was actually, I think, for both of us to, to commit you know, because it's, you know, when you're, when you're drinking, everything sounds like a great idea. So for us, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, this is great. And it kind of got better and better with every drink and the hangover was pretty rough and we still kind of love the idea. Um, but it was, it was Jimmy that Jimmy truthfully, he kept calling me and he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave me alone. And he kept calling and calling and calling after, after a couple of weeks and sending, sending performas and spreadsheets. And, and finally, um, I said, I said, geez, if this guy is this determined, um, then then he'll it'll never fail. That's why I honestly agreed to do it. But the first the first real steps was, um, you know, sourcing. We we kind of were ambiguous: a restaurant or a food truck. And once we kind of learned a little more about the restaurant business and the financial aspect of long-term leases and big-time build-outs, and then um, also the thriving and up-and-coming food truck business in Los Angeles. Uh, that was kind of my market research. I, I did that, and I kind of called him one day, and, I, and it's in the book. I said, we're doing a food truck, and it was really that simple. That's where it ended. Uh, so, you know, sourcing our lobster, making sure we had the best absolute product. How the heck could we ship it 3,000 miles? And where the heck do you get a food truck? Right. And so many people will tell young entrepreneurs that if you're going to start a business, the restaurant business is among the toughest. To I mean, half of them go out of business within the first couple of years. Uh, did you have people that told you at the beginning, not a good idea, guys? <laughs> Yeah, um, we did, and, and thank you for that nice reminder, um, specifically about the uh, about the restaurant industry. But I had a lot of uh, you know of my buddies' fathers who was very successful and, and worked for big companies, saying, "Hey, you know, one out of thirty-seven startups uh, make it." And so it was a little bit daunting, obviously, going in and add that to the fact that it was the restaurant industry. Um, but you know, certainly what we what we tried to do um, is to make it. A, as simple of a, a process and a system as possible. And, and, you know, maybe you say, well, hey, how is that possible? It's, it's food and it's, it's a moving vehicle. But um, with the nature of our product uh, being what it is, you know, the lobster meat gets sent to us ready to really be used in the different variety of ways, whether it's lobster tacos or lobster rolls. Um, and, and so we make sure that it's consistent there. You know, we're not this, uh, this you know, 300-seat restaurant um, with all kinds of moving parts in, in the back in the kitchen. So we can focus on the quality control from the food going out the window at the truck or at the restaurants that we have. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's a small operation, too. Our restaurants are 1,000 square feet. Our trucks are, you know, 30 feet long and, and 8 feet wide. So we only have two or three staff in the truck um, and just a little bit more in the restaurant. So we can really focus and fine-tune on um, the controls, uh, the, the quality of the food, the quality of the staff, the service, and then through training and our operations manuals, we really make sure that we implement that, the customer service, and make sure it feels like that kind of, you know, main Downey's hospitality that we grew up with. Why did you choose to express yourself as entrepreneurs through the lobster roll? I mean, you you talk about how your business really is about building this culture around these memories that you had uh, together growing up in, in Maine and starting in some place like Los Angeles, which, you know, most people, you know, I don't know how many of them have ever been to Maine or experienced a lobster roll. How did you introduce it to the market? 
Well, that's a great question. I think that was actually our biggest concern. Uh, we, we weren't sure that anyone, God, does anyone in Los Angeles even know what a lobster roll is? Will they like it? Will they pay for it? Will they appreciate it? Um, so we, we, in, we introduced it as a delicacy from Maine. We introduced it as a family tradition, as something that we've been growing up doing our entire lives. And we had really just hoped that, you know, we'd hope for the best. That was pretty much it. We were doing projections on hopefully selling a, you know, 38 or 42 of these a day just to stay afloat. Um, the first day in line, of course, when we saw 80 people and that line never went away was, was our epiphany of, oh, my God, it appears that people like know about this or, or are, are happy far more than we had expected. Um, but the reason we, we chose lobster rolls in particular was because it was kind of a sign of our past, sign of our, our childhood, um, something that brought us back to our backyard, our home. We're very proud of where we're from in Maine. Uh, it's simple. It's, it's, it's different. And we really just wanted to work together, and we thought this was the, this was the right product or the right menu item to serve. And it wasn't too much more complicated than that. And I think, again, in the book, we talk about this. It's sometimes as entrepreneurs, you now overcomplicate things. You make things, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. We want to work together. We believe lobster was, was, was the best thing in the world. And we wanted to make it accessible to people here. Did we think it would work? We'd hope so. Did we think it was going to be anything like it is today? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, with uh, what, is it eighteen trucks that you have now all over the country? No, we have thirty-two uh, in oh sixteen goodness. cities. We have another in the next couple months, eight restaurants, including one in Taiwan. Uh, we have an online shipping business, so it's <laughs> you know the landscape looks vastly different than what we had, had what we had you know projected. We genuinely wanted this to break even uh, while we kept our jobs. We had absolutely no intentions of, you know, making money on really the first one or any future ones. So it was, it was more of a passion project to start. And then you talk about that, where if you kind of do things for the right reason, you know, usually it comes out right. You don't, you don't skim or cut, or cut corners, and that's, that's what we did. We, we said, hey, if we want this one thing to work. We're going to make the best lobster. We're going to get the best lobster. We're going to get the best bread. We're going to do all these things. And that's really what, what, why we made our decisions. And the market responded big time. So how do you stay true to your brand and your values as you're growing so quickly and having to bring on so many more people? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for us, that's just how we were raised. I mean, we're, we're, we're two guys from Maine. It was, a, it was our upbringing and how our, you know, families raised us in a sense of kind of like Saban said, we want to do things right. We want to make the right decisions. We have, you know, good ethics. And, and so that meant that we were going to have methods to our growth and we were going to stand by the fact that when we start with the best lobster in the world, we're never going to deviate from that. So if the prices fluctuate and go up and down, we're not going to go get a, a lesser product and we're not going to jack the prices completely to customers. Um, so we're going to stay and do the right things. Um, and so when we are then trying to keep the integrity of the brand as we scale, it just meant that we had to you know, make investments, whether that's in our staff um, for people to help um, with our franchise department to help support franchisees, provide material, the operations manual, um, shooting all kinds of videos and digital content from Maine um, so that it would tell as every city opened up, hey, this is where our product came from. These are the lobstermen on the boats of the wharfs that we own and are partnered with. 
um, to share that story with customers so that it does feel, whether you're in Sacramento or whether you're in Los Angeles or Raleigh or San Antonio, that it's that same kind of business and feel and product everywhere you go. And, um, you know, from the, from the other side of it, we always tell our story. Um, and our story is exactly what Saban said, is we're recreating our childhood. It's where we grew up in Maine, having, you know, uh, lobster bakes and lobster rolls with our crazy family that was all about, you know, love and happiness. Um, and to have that kind of uh, resonate through our, our visuals and our, our TVs at the trucks, um, it, it works with the customers to let them know to feel good about this, understand where your product comes from, that supply chain, um, and to keep it exactly what it is, which is a family-owned, small, private business. That's so true. You know, it, it does always come back to the story because that's what, that's what your customers are investing in every time they buy something from you is your story, isn't it? Well, I, yeah, and I'd also add there, too, is we, we bring our franchisees now to Maine. We put them on boats. We have them hauling lobster traps early in the morning. You know, we have them baiting with fish heads, and, and, we, really have, and we have them throwing back nine out of the ten lobsters because, you know, that's the average Maine's a sustainable fishery. We have them see the plant uh, where their, all their lobsters processed, uh, the facility. We have them see where everything is shipped from. And it really changes their appreciation for what they do. Um, it's a small little area. It's a small little blip on the, on the radar in the entire world where this, this, this comes from, our lobster. So that also changed how we, you know, respect our, our delicacy as we grow and scale. Because if you don't have respect and you don't have true appreciation, then you have nothing. So we started, you know, that, like Jimmy said, it's about education. It's about value. So we bring people to Maine and we put them on the boat. We say, hey, this isn't a mass-produced trinket. It's not a hamburger. This is something that is a wild-caught product from a sustainable fishery. Uh, so I think that adds a lot of value. With as much growth as you've had so far and, and are still having now, why write a book about it right now? I mean, your story's not, not completely told. It's definitely not over. Um, why did you feel the need to write the book now? Well, hopefully that means we'll have book two, three, and four at some point. But... Yeah, you're guaranteeing <laughs> book two, three, four. That's it. I, I think, uh, you know, for Saban myself, I'm like, Saban's got a, a TV show coming out, and, and we'd shot a lot of pilots for shows, but it, it was nothing, everything that we seeked or, or went out of our way to, to chase. Um, we were humbled by the fact that a lot of um, those opportunities came to us and said, hey, you have a cool story or, uh, you know, an interesting brand or a growing concept, and, and, and so let's try this. And and so we would do it. And so, you know, for the book, same thing. You know, we didn't we didn't set up one day because um, our focus is on our business, on our franchisees and doing things the right way. We didn't wake up and say, hey, we need to write a book. Um, it kind of came our way as an opportunity. And, um, you know, we said, hey, this is actually a great way to give back, you know. Um, and, and we kind of do that through some charitable things that we do. But this is a great way to maybe share our experiences so that guys or girls like us that are – you know, growing a business or thinking about taking the plunge or in the middle of it and, and, and hitting obstacles and, and, and roadblocks um, that they could learn from things that we wish we had known uh, before we started. Um, so whether that's, you know, lessons that we find very helpful to have known uh, before we started or, you know, going through our experiences, we think that that's certainly something that um, can have value to our readers. And, you know, for us, like we say, if we could do it without any business degree, without any experience, without any um, real knowledge of the of the restaurant space, 
anyone can do it. Um, so hopefully that's what our readers would get. On this show, uh, we interview innovators, entrepreneurs, and it's it, we want to find out about their creative process to try to help others who are in a similar situation or who aspire to be entrepreneurs. Let's talk a little bit about Shark Tank and how you two prepared for your appearance on Shark Tank. You knew it could be a game changer. So how did you prepare? Yeah, this is Sabin. Um, we, we were very scared to go on Shark Tank, not necessarily because it sounds intimidating going on national television, but more so we had immediate success and we were worried that if they took a bite into our lobster roll and maybe it was cold, maybe it wasn't as great as we thought it was, what if Mark Cuban or Damon or Barbara says, nah, this isn't so good, and now 7 million people see that? That's, that's why we were initially concerned about going on. Um, so on the other alternative, we were very concerned about looking stupid. So what we did is we watched about 50 episodes. And every episode, we made a note card, and we wrote down the questions that each shark asked. And if you watch the show, you'll see that they tend to ask similar questions each time. So while um, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, might say that he can do this in other places, we know that Damon's going to ask why this valuation, and Barbara's going to say this. So we started writing down questions, and one of us would stand up and pretend to be the shark and grill, grill, grill the person, and one of us would sit there and answer. And we did this for weeks. We would go on jogs and runs, and we'd practice. We would do our opening pitch on runs. We'd actually stand in the mirror and look at each other, one of them would be answering questions while the other one was, you know, doing as obscene of gestures as possible. And you can use your imagination to try and break their uh, concentration. And the result is we went on very well prepared. There were countless questions that the sharks began to ask that we knew the answers to before it even came out of their mouth because we had prepared. Um, Jimmy always says uh, his favorite quote is, if you're prepared, you have nothing to worry about. And we were very, very prepared. So when we went on, we felt confident. It doesn't mean we weren't nervous, of course, because it's a very scary setting. and It's all real, and it's, there is no take twos in, in that show. But we were very, very prepared. So we watched episodes. We practiced, and it's kind of a lesson where you see people going on that show and they bomb, and you wonder, how do you not know these numbers? How, how are you not prepared? And that can be extrapolated to your own business, your own life, I mean, daily. It doesn't have to be a, a big, fancy TV wow. show. And tell me about the relationship with Barbara, because you always wonder, okay, when the shark does actually uh, choose a business to become involved with, you wonder how close that relationship is. Is it really a relationship? Is it just her people, you know, talking to you every once in a while? Talk to me about that relationship. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been unreal, and I think that, um, you know, for a reality show, that's, that's really as a viewer, you're sitting there wondering, well, hey, what, what does happen after, you know, this, this episode ends and how's it evolve? And I think for us, you know, we, we targeted Barbara cause she, um, she seemed to be, um, you know, what you see is what you get and, and almost like a motherly figure. And she was, we targeted her cause she did a bunch of food groups. Um, and she just seemed like maybe at a, another point in her career where she would maybe be more hands-on with us. Um, and that has come to fruition, um, you know, tenfold and, uh, her marketing, her business savvy, her experience is, is priceless um, outside of the exposure and media that she has got us, which is invaluable. Um, her day-to-day uh, lessons that we would learn from her, um, you know, has been phenomenal. And I think, you know, to the latter part of your question about, you know, really what's it like in terms of a relationship, I'd say, you know, 80% of our uh, interactions now are really on a personal level where it's, you know, she's telling Sabin to lose weight or get to the gym or, uh, you know, have us over for, for food. And, you know, she jokes around with us. She's got no filter, and we have a blast. And she, you know, one of Sabe's favorite stories is 
early on, you know, we had her up to Maine, um, and Saban offered her to stay at, um, you know, his, his home that he has in Scarborough, um, Maine, and, you know, expecting her to stay at the hotel and say, no, thanks. But she did. She went to the home, and they played Scrabble, and she came to my parents' house and had dinner and drank wine. And, you know, just a few months ago, she was at my, my wedding uh, for me and my wife. And so she's like family, and, and it's true. I don't know what it's like for other uh, of her groups, but she's very hands-on. And if you do well and you're, and you're good people, um, you know, it, literally uh, she's kind of joined our family and, and us hers. I'm sure you've thought about this, you know, you wrote the book about it to kind of tell people about your journey. But I mean, if you had to look at two guys who were in your position years ago and just starting this mission, what, what are some of the biggest lessons or some of the advice you would give? Well, this is Sabin. I mean, I have two and I'm sure I speak for Jimmy. Um, our number one is, is to have humility, um, to, to ask questions, to not be scared to ask questions. I think a lot of people, you know, we say it all the time still. Someone will say something to us and we say, well, what does that mean? I don't know what that is. What is that? And then, and most people don't say that because you kind of sound, you know, it's like you sound stupid. How, how do you not know that? Um, but what we always did is we asked questions. And once we learned the answer, we never forgot them. So, you know, if you're, if you're starting whatever you're starting, um, ask questions, be humble, be open to learning, um, make sure you have the best product in class. You know, you have to have the best to be the best. You have to outwork everybody. I mean, everybody. Um, and really, I think most importantly is you have to be fearless. I think the mindset of the most successful entrepreneurs are that they're fearless. They believe in themselves. They're gambling on themselves. And growing up, kind of, it's, it's not normal to actually do that. You're supposed to have stability. You're supposed to get a job. You're supposed to get out of college and do this and do that. I can tell you what you're not supposed to do when you're a you know, 30-year-old man is leave a very successful career to open a food truck. That's what you're definitely not supposed to do. But that's society's kind of norms and telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And we believed in ourselves, we believed in our business, and we were fearless. The only times that we've stagnated and kind of been a little neutral is when we weren't fearless, when we were a little timid and scared. So if you have a great product, you work hard, you're a good person, and you tell your story well, and you're fearless, you will be successful. Love it. Jim, do you have anything to add? No, he stole, he stole my too. I think, uh, I, I, but, but he did touch on it earlier. And, and for me, that is kind of my favorite saying that, you know, preparation piece is that, um, you can be the hardest worker in the world, um, and, you know, have a great story and you can have humility and, and be fearless. But uh, all of those things combined with the ability to prepare, um, as Saban said, it didn't just stop when we were doing, you know, getting ready for Shark Tank. We didn't just get amped up to be able to go do a TV show and we'll say, hey, we'll prepare for this. We prepared for everything, whether it's, it's a meeting, whether it's an interview, whether it's, you know, with the banks about financials, um, whether it's new candidates for franchisees or, or together about new ideas and, and how we want to go, because that will allow you to put your best foot forth um, for opportunities for successes and um, so I think that'd be my piece is all of that, uh, those humility and preparation and, and being fearless. Okay. So, uh, with running the business and with the book tour and everything you're doing now and a new TV show coming up, how do you guys relax? What do you do when you kind of need to plug in to your own creativity and just kind of chill? Uh, this is Saban. My favorite thing to do is to go to the beach, surf, 
Um, or, you know, I have a newborn, I have a seven month or seven month old baby. So spending time with my fiance and my baby has never been, I've never appreciated it so much because I feel like we are so busy and we're always traveling. So just really spending time with family, mom, um, the baby going to the beach, kind of disconnecting. And I think we've gotten better at that. It's very hard when you have your own business to disconnect and to understand the value of, you know, just kind of getting away from your phone, be it for a couple hours or a day. So uh, I think we've gotten better at it. It's not easy, but for me, those are mine. I don't know about Jim. Yeah, no, for me, um, certainly the, uh, I don't have a baby, but I'm a newlywed. So, you know, finding time to obviously be uh, with my wife. And I think the thing that we most appreciate doing together and the, the piece about growing up in Maine is I'm a water guy through and through. Um, I love the ocean, and so uh, same, similar to Saban, whether it's the beach or even just literally driving down the coast and, and just looking at the water the entire time and spending spending time with her, that's uh, phenomenal. And then, and then you know, together just kind of doing some things that are a little bit outside the box, uh, whether it's we love going to comedy shows um, and laughing because that's, again, the piece of disconnecting and not thinking about anything, um, you know, and just kind of spending time together, finding to do new things, whether it's, you know, hikes or being outside and and trying to release a bit. Okay, well, I need some advice because your Sacramento truck's going to be in my hood this weekend, and I need to know, do I do... I'm a, I'm a California girl, always have been, so I'm a big taco queen, and I eat tacos a few times a week. Should I do the taco? Should I do the, the lobster roll to get the authentic, <laughs> uh, you know, t- first taste? And what do I pair it with? Do I do hazy IPA? Am I going to do a lager? <laughs> what, are, what are your recommendations? There you go. All right, well, I'll, I'll uh, tell you... I'll, this is Saban. I'll tell you the food, and Jim will tell you the beer. Okay. So, so um, if you don't get a lobster roll, you're going to be on our uh, blackballed list. You're going to be in a really dark. You're going to be in a really dark place that you don't want to be. Okay. So, I per- I personally would recommend the Connecticut style roll. It's it's not traditional to Maine. We don't even have it in Maine, but it's uh it's our Maine lobster claw knuckle and tail meat. We gently warm it with a little butter and lemon, and we serve it on our New England style lobster roll. So we bring the bread from Maine. It's really really like. Just melt in your mouth, goodness, warm, sweet uh, lobster, and it's just it's it's indicative of what we do. You have to have a lobster roll. If you like clam chowder, I think we have the best clam chowder in the world. So it's a nice pairing with a clam chowder. And if you're kind of feeling like you had a lot of salads this week, you can get a side of lobster tots, which mm. are tater tots with um, diced warm Maine lobster, pico de gallo, homemade cilantro lime sauce. And it's kind of that, you know, salty but sweet and really kind of grub food truck food with a little main flash. So those are my recommendations. Jim might have a little extra, and he'll definitely point you in the beer direction because he drinks about, you know, 30 to 40 of them uh, a week. Oh, Jim, my no, kind of guy. No, a day, a day. Yeah. That's how I just connect, you know. No, I um, – did Saban just sell you the entire menu? I think he did, um, but it all yeah, sounds good. I'm like, hey, listen, thing, listen, yeah, you know, I yeah. can't leave anything off the table, guys. Good idea, good idea. I mean – I, I love IPAs, and I think that, generally speaking, if I could get a nice main beer like a Shipyard Export or even an Allagash, but uh, I, you probably don't have access to it out there, so I'd say your IPA is probably very similar to, like, that Shipyard uh, Export I'm talking about. Okay. It goes great with the lobster rolls or anything you get, um, especially as you have the second and the third and the fourth. Um, and then either way, when you have your beer and your food, you should go and ask for Paul or Vicky because they're the owners. They're amazing. They have a phenomenal business, and um, they'll make you laugh and they'll, they'll talk to you and, um, probably ask you for your beer. So, um, certainly enjoy and, and let us know how it goes. I love it. Thanks you guys so much for spending time with us today. So where can we, where can we find you? Where do we find this new show that's coming out? 
Yeah, this, uh, the, there's going to be a new show on uh, Cooking Channel and Food Network this July. It's called Seaside Snacks and Shacks. So definitely look out for that. Um, obviously, our book is on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all the other spots. And um, you can follow us at Cousins Main Lobster, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our website. We have an app. Or I can just give you Jim's cell phone number and you can broadcast that out to the world. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. Thanks, you guys, so much. Thank you for having us. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jim Salikas and Saban Lomac. Really great guys. And it's fun to see them succeed. Again, they just opened their first international restaurant in Taiwan, which is amazing to go from uh, food trucking to global enterprise. So congratulations to them both. And if you liked our conversation and you love being motivated, check out our back episodes of A Fresh Agenda so you can subscribe to the channel as well and hear from innovators and thought leaders. And you know, it's really just enough that you uh, checked in and you're listening to this episode. That's enough. But if you are so inclined, I'd love uh, for you to go on iTunes, give me a rating for that, Uh, maybe drop a comment or a note about the podcast, either on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Um, Gives the show some love. I'd certainly appreciate it. But again, just the fact that you're here, I'm forever grateful. And drop me a note. I'd be curious to hear your methods for maintaining your own creativity. A lot of you have great ideas. You can always reach me through my website, ChristinaMendonca.com. There's a contact form there as well. And thanks again as well to my sponsors, New Age Aerial New Age Designs and Sierra Tahoe. In fact, Sierra Tahoe is arranged for my listeners and viewers to get a special pricing on ski passes for the season. And there is a link on uh, listed with this podcast and also on my website uh, where you can find the link, click through and get a season pass. The season, well, we're about halfway through the season now, but If you ski a lot, it still would come in very handy. Also, my digital newscast, The Shortlist, is giving away free ski passes throughout social media this uh, season. So you can check out The Shortlist. That happens each week on Monday. I post it on my YouTube channel and also on all of my socials and on kfbk.com. More fun episodes of A Fresh Agenda on the way. I just scheduled an interview with celebrity chef Tyler Florence. So uh, I'm super excited to talk to him. And we'll also be chatting with one of my favorite ASM artists. And if you don't know what that is, that is going to be a special treat. So thanks for being here. This has been A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonca. Let's stay connected. This is A Fresh Agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.